0: Welcome to the Green Jokers Podcast, Episode One The Pilot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Green Jokers Malifaux podcast, bringing you Malifaux thoughts, feelings, and reactions from the Green Jokers Meta in Huddersfield, West Yorkshire. I am your host, Jan, and I am joined today by my co-host, Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. alright. <laughs> it's a good start. It's a good start. It's all right. Um, so. As this is our first episode, I thought it might be useful to give you a brief introduction to who we are and our journeys in Malifaux so far. So Jamie, would you like to please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how and when you got into Malifaux and what your experience has been like so far? Yeah, so I've not been playing for as long as I thought. I thought I'd been playing for
1: a little bit over a year now because I was telling people back in November. That had been a year. Definitely hasn't. Um, so I've started. I've been playing about February, March, twenty twenty three is when I started. So I popped into my um, local gaming store in January, twenty twenty three, um, and really have no experience with the game before. Was interested in it um, and its mechanics because the whole card system looked very, very interesting. Um, I've got a background in other war games, such as Forty K and those sort of larger scale war games. So I was interested to see something quite different. Um, obviously, this is. Much more skirmish base rather than uh, the big big game, so I think that that definitely brought me in. So I promptly booked a game um, with Jan around the March time, February Marchish, um, and very very quickly found myself all in almost in love with the game. It was uh, quite a quite quite a sight. Um, my initial instinct for faction was uh, Ten Thunders as I was a big fan of the sort of theming and the miniatures, and I got a few kits there, got a couple crews, um, and then attended my first tournament. Uh, early May uh, Didn't do very well But It's the first one You know you got to start somewhere Yeah Narrowly avoided The Wooden Spoon But I enjoyed it anyway So it was a good time um, Shortly after that I then got Yan Lo First Dual Faction Master And uh Kind of that side Started my love With, with Rezzers Is where that began Because um, I have played him In Thunders a few times And it just It wasn't working for me Tried him in Rezzers And uh, all of a sudden Everything being a lot tougher Regenerating and stuff like that It kind of It kind of worked quite well for me. So that, that, that that's then snowballed into almost having every single Resus crew at this point. With Yeah, that's what, that's why I thought i have been playing for so much longer because having yeah. almost a whole um, faction, I was like, there's no way I've done yeah. that in, the, in as short a time as I have. But
0: Yeah, your crazy. collection is probably bigger than a lot of people who have been playing <laughs> much longer.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, really embarrassing, but it's part of the hobby, isn't it? I, suppose? I enjoy it, I enjoy it. So as of... Now, the the biggest event I've uh, have attended was uh, Nationals in November as well. So starting from that small one all the way six months later to Nationals was, was quite a road uh, to travel, but I enjoyed it. Again, didn't do very well at Nationals, but I'm trying, I'm trying. And uh, I'm hoping to continue attending events local and uh, further events in the future. Anyway, that's my sort of initial journey with Malifaux. What about you? Where did you get into
0: Malifaux, and where are you at now with the game? Um. So... I got into Malifaux right at the beginning of 2020, just before the first COVID lockdown came into force in the UK. I had previously sort of flirted with Malifaux for several years, uh, buying and selling various bits over the years without ever really playing any games, just because there wasn't anyone in my club that played it. But in 2020 i managed to convince my friend jack to try it out and after a couple of small games using the old second edition two-player starter set which was the asylum and the half-blood models um we both kind of just dove straight in so at the time explorers weren't really a full faction because this was still uh, i think within the first year of third edition yeah uh But I wanted to jump into the game with the new faction, and so I managed to hunt down a second-edition McCabe box with the intention of explorers being my main faction when they come out. But as I quickly fell in love with the game and got a little impatient, I just acquired more and more 10 Thunders crews to kind of bridge the gap until Explorers came out. And eventually they just became my main faction for quite a while. So during lockdown, I took part in the first online UK Vassal Super League, um, which was a real baptism of fire. Um, There were some really top players taking part in that. Um, And bear in mind at that point, had pretty much exclusively played against Jack, yeah. uh, and our games were pretty much all McCabe versus Lucius. Yeah, with both of you first starting as well. It's, yeah, it's difficult. So I had very little experience of different crews. Well, actually, no experience except for one game um, that I managed to play before I started that league, which was against the Crossroads Seven. One of the weirdest cruisers. Exactly, like. yeah. Yeah. Um, So I went into that very sort of inexperienced, but it was great. It really taught me a lot in a short period of time uh, playing against all these really good players. I feel, I feel
1: similar with the Nationals as well. Very much like seven rounds over one weekend is a lot, but you take yeah. away a lot from those sort of things, especially when you're first starting as well. So I, I definitely agree with that.
0: Yeah. So anyway, once COVID restrictions started lifting in 2021 and in-person tournaments started cropping up again, uh, it quickly became my aim to try and attend as many in-person events as I could. And it's actually how I met a lot of the people who are now some of my closest friends. And then when Powder Monkey Gaming opened in Huddersfield around April 2022... Uh, Myself and Jack started trying to build a Malifaux community there, and whilst Jack shortly after moved away from Huddersfield, uh, I kept it going and eventually started running events there, uh, with the first one being in January 2023, which is the one that apparently convinced you to give the game a try. The chances of that are fates, (laughs) Kalah. Yeah, I've just been trying to slowly grow our little meta. I've been running regular tournaments at Powder Monkey for over a year now. Mm -hmm. And we obviously have our regular game nights on Wednesday evenings as well, um, which is great for getting regular games in. Definitely. Yeah, that pretty much brings us up to date in my Malifaux career, so to speak. Before we get into the next segment of the episode, Jamie... Would you like to give the audience a little bit of an overview of what the aims of this podcast are and some of our plans and ideas for it going forward? Sure. So
1: the idea of the podcast is to provide an episodic insight into our Malifaux community, as well as some of the things going on within the wider Malifaux hobby. Uh, The aim is to develop a number of regular recurring segments, which yourselves as the audience will hopefully become familiar with. Um, which all combine to create a podcast that hopefully feels a little bit more like a structured talk show rather than long-form interviews with a little bit of conversation thrown in there as well. We do have some ideas for some potential longer segments, uh, but the idea is to keep things short and snappy, but still hopefully facilitate some interesting conversations with and throughout the community. What you hear in the first episode should give you a bit of a taste of the kind of things we want to be covering, but especially as we develop the podcast, your views and feedback will be very important to us. So if you have any ideas of any segments you might want us to include in future episodes, please do let us know. Um, We'll have some contact details in the show notes.
0: Excellent. Uh, In that case, without further ado, let's get into the first segment of today's episode. Welcome to Matchup Catchup, where we discuss, analyse and reflect on a specific pairing that we encountered recently and attempt to extrapolate any lessons learned. So for our first
1: episode, Jan is going to start us off with a matchup he's played into recently, while I'm going to try and ask some questions and hopefully extract some useful information about the master he chose as well, the master he played into. Uh, so, Jan, do you want to tell us what matchup you've picked and why?
0: So for today's matchup catch-up, I decided to talk about a matchup I actually played twice at the UK Nationals in November, which is Colette versus Nakima. And the reason I wanted to talk about this matchup is because I actually lost the first instance of that matchup, which then actually helped me go on to win the matchup when I encountered Nakima a second time at the tournament.
1: Mm. So it was you playing Colette into Nakima a yes. couple of times. Fantastic. So do you want to tell us why you picked Colette um, when you found out you were playing into Neverborn? Um, was it purely based on the pool or did your opponent's faction inform your decision in any way A Master Declaration?
0: Yeah, funnily enough, when I saw the pool, I wasn't originally thinking of Colette. This was a flank raid the vault, which sounded like a Mei Feng game to me. However, when I got to the table and my opponent declared Neverborn, I really got into my own head and I made what I think was ultimately a mistake at Master Selection. I convinced myself. Not necessarily for no good reason that my opponent was going to play either Pandora, Tyranton, or Old One Eye, and both of those are just horrible matchups for Mayfeng. Yeah,
1: I do, I do think it was was fair potentially going into Neverborn at something like Nationals to
0: expect that. But needless to say, I saw Neverborn and was fully expecting Pandora or Euripides, and I went against my initial instinct and declared Colette only to find out that my opponent had declared Nakima. Um So you could say that perhaps I over a bit, and actually if I went with my original idea of playing Mei Feng, um, I think I would have had a much better game. Yeah, so it's always difficult with the just
1: the way the, the format is to kind of know what's happening, especially at such a high-profile event like that. But yeah. yeah, it's just one of those, unfortunately. Um, just to clarify as well, which version of the Master did you
0: both take? So, I took the original Colette, and my opponent took Broodmother, so Nekima 2, uh, who... So anyone who isn't familiar can summon Teratot, uh, and also has some interesting ways of pulsing out damage, and triggering Black Blood a lot more consistently than Nekima 1 does. Mm-hmm. See, Black Blood with Mei Feng as well, that's yeah.
1: a, a tasty combo that we mm-hmm. can potentially get into at some point, point. that um, unfortunately didn't work out for you, yeah. so... Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about how the game unfolded then? So as we already know, you lost that game. So what led you to that result? Did you make any decisions that you think resulted in that final score, which was 7-5
0: to your opponent? I don't want to say that I lost at crew selection because I rarely think that is actually the case in Malifaux. And the decisions in the game are by far the most important factor in determining the outcome. But I do think Nakima is a tough matchup for Colette. I will get into... Some ways I found to mitigate that when we talk about my second game. But overall, I don't think it's a great matchup. So, the first reason why I think I lost is that most of Colette's crew, or at least the crew I took with Colette, but actually I think this applies to the vast majority of Colette builds you can take, um, they really hate ping damage. And as I already alluded to earlier, Broodmother has some great ways of triggering black blood. Basically, whenever a friendly Nephilim within, I think, aura 12 of Nekima fails a duel, they can suffer one damage and choose to trigger their black blood ability as if it was from an action or trigger. Uh, which means that you're not only taking damage from black blood when you attack the Nephilim in melee. It means they can also make you take damage during their activations, even if they miss an attack.
1: That is so rough. Yeah. Oh my
0: god, I've not even looked at the card or anything, but that's crazy. Oh my days. It was absolutely horrible for the choreography duet. Oh, I can imagine. Especially, you're just like, oh, the armour too, chilling. don't worry. All of a sudden, no, it doesn't matter. No, and the crew I play with, Colette, has a few other armoured models as well, which ...also really suffer from this. I think the biggest in-game mistake I made... ...was that I tried to go in to control the centre of the board a little too early. My idea was to hopefully draw out some of the key pieces of my opponent's crew... ...to spread out across the centre line. But actually, because of the summoning and growth mechanics... I very quickly started losing the attrition game and my models got swarmed by the various neverborn monstrosities. I think if I held back a little more in turn one and played a more reactive game, I would have potentially been able to identify the weak spots in my opponent's crew a little better and maybe been able to respond to those. Um, Colette isn't necessarily the most aggressive or efficient crew when it comes to killing models. But the crew I play, which I know you've faced before, uh-huh. so you know that I do have quite a lot of ability to scalpel out models. I really don't want to be on the board. I like how, yeah, you say it's not very killy. I I, I disagree. <laughs> I strongly disagree with that. Fair enough. But it's a very sort of deliberate killing rather than brute yes. force, like with some crews, yeah, I think. That's fair enough. To summarise, I think the matchup wasn't favourable for me but also, if I played a more reactive game I think that would have given me a better chance to respond to the situation a little better uh, and really just focus on winning the game by outscoring my opponent. Mm. It does sound like you've definitely
1: learned a lesson there, you know, kind of figuring out what's important in a game you've got to you've correctly identify whether you're trying to do the beat down or the control and it sounds like that's kind of where you fell down, unable to kind of worked that out during the game
0: yeah absolutely which is wild i'm not really sure why i thought i could outkill a nakima crew yeah. but i guess those are the kinds of things you sometimes lose sight of especially when you're right in the thick of that fog of war oh yeah like you at all costs you just
1: want to win don't you so it's, yeah no that is definitely fair enough um so you mentioned that later on in the event you actually got a chance to play that matchup again um can you give us a summary of that second game and how you applied the knowledge you gained from the first game, the loss uh, to lead you to a victory in the second game.
0: Yeah, of course. It's worth noting here that this was a much better pool for Colette. Mm. And she was pretty much always going to be my pick into this, as it was a uh, corner cloak and dagger, uh, which I think Colette is really good at. Mm. So when my opponent declared Neverborn, I still wasn't really expecting Nakima. Although my opponent uh, did very graciously tell me that they were going for Iron Scorpius, which I suspect affected their decision somewhat. Funnily enough, I actually made no changes to my crew for this game, aside from one small tweak, which I think was actually very significant and that was that I swapped Colette 1 for Colette Smuggler. Okay, that's very very interesting. Yeah, my thinking behind that was that not only is Smuggler evasive and therefore doesn't care about black blood, but she can also take actions through her decoy markers and doves, which means she has a lot of flexibility when it comes to affecting the board state. That is genuinely fantastic. Because especially like all of
1: that black blood stuff, I was like, oh, that's literally... In my mind, gotta get Nakima now. Wanna try yeah. Nakima out. But that, that has just completely turned off so much of her stuff there. That is a fantastic yeah. choice. That's really solid,
0: that. Um, I mean, the duet still kind of suffers from it. And you've got the mm. Watchmen, which I take in a lot of my Colette crews, yeah. who also don't really like ping damage. But being able not to worry about it with Colette, yeah. having your
1: master actually do what your master wants to do. Exactly. Because it's, it's through the birds as well, which are also evasive. So they yeah. don't even care about the things. Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Also worth noting that my opponent declared Nakima 1 or Nakima Sword Maiden, as I think Andre in the Texas meta has been calling her, which actually I really like. So I'm going to go along with that. Yeah. Um, so the game swung pretty hard early on when Cassandra took out a young and a mature Nephilim unactivated turn 2. Uh, And then my Corophy Duet just shredded the hooded rider almost immediately after, which basically gained me free reign over one side of the board, um, and it forced Nakima to fly over to the other flank to try and actually score some points. I will say, I think my opponent made a bit of a mistake in not trying to stop Cassandra's Breath of Fire, which very much dictated the outcome of the game. Although, at the same time, the Mature Neff I killed was my Take Prisoner target, <laughs> so up. I also denied myself two points there. Because how would you stop... Is it Cassandra's Breath of Fire? How would you... He, sh- yeah, so uh, my opponent essentially just decided not to cheat trying to stop the attack. Oh, I see. Which meant that I could get to a straight flip on the damage and get that double blast severe. Yeah, yeah because um, a lot of burning comes off of that yes yeah, yeah that's rough yeah i think the main thing though was that i played a much more cautious game than the previous game uh, and i was a lot more reactive i sort of let my opponent come to me and then dealt with the f- threats in a much more coordinated way Um, And I think the final score ended up being as a 6-3 win to me. Pretty solid win. Yeah, so you scored all the points you could, other than the two you denied yourself. So
1: it sounds like one simple switch from original to the title master made it such, just made such a massive impact, both on the board, but maybe mentally, to your approach, that it made what you said was probably an unfavorable matchup just a little bit better, a little bit easier, able to actually score the win in the end there as well. Uh, and most importantly, it sounds like in your second game, you're we able to identify the approach you should take and to go into this matchup a little better. So, obviously, like you, say, you said at the end there, keeping back a bit more, um, focusing more on scoring rather than killing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's fantastic. Um, so, thanks so much for sharing that with us. And uh, that pretty much wraps up our first ever matchup catch up. Well, hey. Um, so, now we're going to take a short break uh, and be back with another segment for you in a moment.
0: This is SubAssembly, a segment in which we focus on an individual stat card, one element at a time, in order to develop an in-depth understanding of that card and how it fits into the gamescape. So today's stat card was picked out by Jamie. So Jamie, could you please tell us what card we're looking at in this episode and why you picked this card in particular? So today we'll be looking at the uh, Student of Steel
1: Found in the Transmortis keyword. Uh, the reason I felt like discussing this model is due to the fact that most times I tell people I've hired um, this model into my crew, they just seem unsure of how it fits and how, and its usefulness into certain matchups. However, I've had some luck taking them, uh, and I'm
0: hoping to to give some insight as to why they uh, they have a place in the Von Stutt crew. Interesting. So I think. Opinions on students of steel are generally quite divided, uh, and we're not necessarily here to convince anyone that they're either good or bad. Uh, although we may come to one of those conclusions ourselves through our discussion here, yeah. uh, but more to give you an overview of this model uh, and hopefully a better understanding of how it might fit into the game as a whole. So, first of all, let's have a look at the front of the card. Yeah. Obviously, a Resurrectionist model. Costs seven. Uh, They are Minions three. They are Construct and Undead, and they have the Transmortis keyword. Mm -hmm. They are Defense four, Willpower six, Move four, Size two. And then for their keyword abilities, they have Studied Opponent, which is the ability that I think pretty much all Transmortis models have. Yes, yes. Yeah, which we'll go into what that does in a second. Uh, They also have Armor 1 and Hard to Wound, which, again, I think is the vast majority of the Transmortis models have that. That's why they say, lovely to play. Just just relax, sit back and relax while you're you're playing the game. If you're the Von Stuck player. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then they also have Sabotage, which is... An ability that appears on a few cards but it's probably the most sort of specialized ability that they seem to have on the front of the card so to me my first impression there is obviously as with most von stück models they have that armor one heart wound and one health point higher than their costs which is so nice which yeah just makes them a lot tankier than i think they have any right to be but then at the same time it's like defense four they're gonna be taking the hits yes yeah this is true so i think they still seem fairly tanky but as you say i think any attacks against defense that go into them are probably going to hit Mm. willpower six is pretty tasty that's actually so surprising because i was like looking
1: at the card having used it before i had no idea that will pass it yeah (laughs) that's so high that's crazy
0: yeah, and then obviously studying opponent is great. So once for activation, after resolving an opposed duel with an enemy model, this model may draw a card if it has any suits in its final duel total that are also in the enemy model's final duel total. So such a good keyword ability because
1: there's just so much card draw. Because it's not just when I'm attacking or the yeah. like; it's every single time anything happens to one of my models. Essentially, I can kind of yeah. force
0: that card draw. And a lot of the models in Transmortars have suits built into their oh, yeah. actions as well, which is so nice. So it improves the chances of studied opponent being triggered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes by you know fifty mm-hmm. to a hundred percent. Yeah, well, I think I think
1: Von Stuck one I think has got like two built in. That's right. That's, uh, that's uh,
0: right. Yeah, which is just absolutely mental. mental. Yeah. Um. And then they have sabotage, which is after this model kills a construct, it may drop a scheme marker into base contact with itself, which is yeah, just yeah. so situational, extremely situational. Um, I mean, in this, in GG four, more scheme markers is nice,
1: yeah, it always is, yeah. Um, but how often is that actually going to happen? Well,
0: let's go to the back of the card and see if we can make sense of anything else on the front of the card by looking at what's on the back. We've got four different actions here. Three of those are attack actions and one tactical action and two of those four actions are bonus actions. Mm. So, first of all, they've got the Dissector's melee attack, which is range 1 stat six with a built-in toe against defense it's two four five damage and it's got a puncture trigger on a ram of course and then an armor piercing trigger on a toe which is built in. which is built in. Ah, ah. It's lo- honestly it's such a nice little melee bit there it's yeah because it is
1: quite spiky as well
0: too. yeah i, I mean that. two four five is just such a nice damage track a lot of the time mm. Yeah, I always get excited when I see a two four five yeah, damage yeah, track, yeah. especially on a sort of mid range minion. Oh yeah, like he's just he's just a guy, you know. So, so to have
1: two four five stat six as well, yeah, He's solid. Honestly, yeah,
0: solid. Seems good. So and obviously with that puncture as well, if you're not going for the armor piercing, yeah, you've got the potential to get that four five damage. it's, it's just a nice set of
1: triggers, especially with one of them being built in. Like yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Yep, yeah. seems pretty good to me so far. Uh, The next action on their card is Analyze Weakness, which is range 10, stat 5 against willpower, and it essentially shuts off armour and shielded on the target until the end phase, and we've got a rip and tear trigger there on a ram, which allows this model to take a melee action, targeting the same model, receiving a positive 2 the jewel yeah i have very mixed feelings about analyze weakness Mm. in general i think as most people do uh, i think it's an action that if you use it in certain situations it can be really clutch and it can be devastating to a model Mm. but at the same time i don't know that i'm ever hiring a model because of analyze weakness yeah see that's funny that you
1: say that. That's one of the main reasons that I have taken them in the crew. Obviously, we'll talk about that sort of stuff later on, but yeah. I am I do like that analyse weakness because there's some fun stuff you can do with the rest
0: of the keywords that okay. benefits that analyse weakness. Fair enough. Well, I'm interested to hear that. Yeah. Um, next up, we have lecture notes, which is, again, quite a common bonus action in Transmortars. Yes, yeah, not on everyone, but it is far too often for what it is. yes. So, this is uh, a stat uh, 6, uh, range 6, against willpower, um, and it has a target number of 10, and it just gives the target stunned. Of it does. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then we've got, on a crow, the mental trauma trigger, so a target must either discard a card or suffer three damage. I mean, stat six against willpower just yeah. to give out stunned on a bonus action. The final ace of bonus as well. Yeah. yeah that is just every single time I see it, it feels like
1: it should be, it should cost an AP. Like, because it's just so good. It is so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why I've complained i the one that plays Von Stuck. I love it. <laughs> but it's like, I, I, I'm sure that our opponents haven't loved it as much as I have.
0: Yeah, I've, um, I've definitely cursed Von Stuck several times. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, <laughs> When I've played against crews where nearly the entire crew has bonus actions to give out stunned, Yeah, it's silly. But that seems good. And then the last action on their card, which is the only tactical action, and the other bonus action is field repairs, which is range 3, stat 5, target number 12. So needing a 7. It's construct only, target heals 1, 2, 3. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe nearly everything except for Von Stuck himself is a construct in the Transporter's keyword. Anna might not be. Okay, yeah. I think, yeah, there's like a couple things that aren't, but most of the keyword is. So it's just a nice little heal construct. Uh, It's not other constructs only, and the Student of Steel is a construct, so they can use it to heal themselves. It does need a seven. You have to work
1: for it. But at the same time... I like that it's quite hard, because it's easily failable. i will come up later. You just wait. There's a nice little combo. Okay. There's some fun things happening here.
0: I guess for me, my initial impression is that I feel like you're mostly taking this if you don't have a nice target to do lecture notes yeah. on. Uh, yeah. Most of the time.
1: Maybe on like the valedictorian, something like that, because keeping hair alive a lot of the time is a linchpin of a game Yeah, she, she's such a tank just dashing around smacking everything um, so even healing her one or two makes a huge difference when she too has armor hard to wind, all that sort of stuff so, yeah. so there's, there's, a, there's a few cases for it but it's not it's not the main reason I like the card mm-hmm.
0: okay obviously with the armor piercing being built in and them having analyze weakness to me it sounds like they're kind of like an anti-armor tech pick mm which I guess makes the sabotage make a little bit more sense because obviously a lot of armoured models are constructs. Yeah. And so uh, this model can... The, I think the idea is that this model can kill constructs and then drop scheme markers from that. Yeah. So that's uh, that makes the sabotage on the front of the card make a bit more sense. Um, okay, so those are kind of my initial impressions So, Jamie, do you want to talk about your experience with these guys, either hiring them yourself or facing them? Mm, So I've never actually
1: faced them, which maybe I'm thankful for. You know, (laughs) they seem quite tough. They do some like silly little things which can offset a crew. Um, But I have got bit of experience playing them so as mentioned earlier went to nationals did the full seven rounds and i just solo von Stuck. Mm -hmm. didn't intend to but that's just the way it kind of ended up being and there was maybe two or three games that i hired these guys in wow yeah so they 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 have come up quite frequently and my experience taking them is purely being a tech pick to be honest so what you were saying just that as an impression is is almost perfect for how i would take them just to get rid of armor they're like there's so much anti-armor tech on them that like if I'm going into even just a faction that might have armor. So it's like if I went into guild, you know, lead line coat, any of that sort of stuff, I'd just be like, take that coat off. No point. Because um, I've got this guy just shredding, hopefully. That's kind
0: of the way I've mainly used them. I've got a question. Yeah. So the main issue I see with what you're saying there, obviously have never used these models. I've maybe faced them a couple of times. But they are only move four with no movement tricks on their card. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that melee with the built-in armor piercing is a big reason you're teching them in. Yeah. Do you find that move four is a bit of a liability in getting them into the position to sort of kill or deal with what they need yeah. to deal with? It is, it is a bit of a
1: pain, to be honest. So a lot of the times in the cruise, when I take a student of steel, I would also take a in slow spirit. Because um, right. that kind of rounds out. I've got about 10 stone wiggle room um, in a lot of the Von Stuttgart crews that I take. So I'd essentially take out something like Manos or even Anna, something like that, um, swap them in with a student of steel and a in slow spirit, um, which is a three-stone little guy, move stuff around. I hate those models. Another little silly resurrectionist trick. So it's like that mitigates the movement ever so slightly because mm. um, it allows them to to, per, to move an extra three inches per turn, which yeah. Yeah, puts them up to about an average sort of movement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the movement definitely is... A bit of a pain But a lot of the time I'm not using them For the melee To be honest Okay Which is surprising Because like When I do get them in melee Turn the card over I'm like surprised By how good it is So maybe it's that's on me Should get them in, in combat More often But a lot of the time When I use them I use them for The Analyze Weakness Okay um, Which again Crazy But Every time I've played them I've played them with Von Stuck Stargazer mm-hmm. And he's got a Six inch aura That once you Fail a jewel, You get positives For the rest of your activation Right Which is, is Absolutely Absolutely Crazy, crazy uh, rule. Um, So, what I like to do is just fail something on purpose for the Mm -hmm. first activation. Whether it's election notes if you're close enough, you know, you win-win with that one. You either lose and get positives for the rest of the duel, or you win and they're stunned. Yeah, fantastic. Weird line. Exactly, there's no downside to that. Or, if you're further away, on the edge of that 10 inches, which is kind of a lot of the time where I've put them with their slow movement, um, just fail a field repairs on purpose. Like, because it's a seven, it's not an easy heal. Because stuff is mostly construct in the in the keyword anyway, you're hopefully gonna have a model there to do it on. Mm-hmm. Um but it's like if you need to, just cheat in a bad card. You'll yeah. have a bad card and you've got so much card draw, it doesn't matter if you're a card mm-hmm. down. A lot of the time what I do, have them on the edge of ten, mm-hmm. fail that first duel on purpose, and then have positives. Yeah, it's only stat five against willpower, mm-hmm. but you're then you've got a positive. You'll be flipping a thirteen. They'll need like, I don't know, an eighteen, seventeen, eighteen to match you, and then you a beat it. So it's it's that's where I found a lot of their usefulness has come from. I do think I should get them in melee more. It's really nice looking at it now.
0: Have you ever managed to pull off the rip and tear after also failing <laughs> a previous duel? No. So you've got a double positive. Oh my t- god! I, oh my god! I didn't
1: even realize that. That's it. No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, I've I've never had them close enough to actually pull off the rip and tear. Fair enough. Um, so it's like I have had them come in maybe turn four or five at the end get some melee going but it's like yeah because they are so slow i kind of acknowledge their slowness accept it and keep them at a longer range and and do that analyze weakness and i suppose the
0: enslaved spirit really helps with that yes because you can use the enslaved spirits chain gang to move them within 10 of exactly. whatever you're trying to target. Yeah, yeah. And otherwise, you would be sort of taking their full activation just to have a go at one Analyze weakness. Yeah, which, yeah. It's like, you do, with it being stat 5, it's not a bad stat,
1: but you want those positives.
0: Okay, well, that makes some sense to me. Um Some sense. <laughs> okay, so before we conclude, let's talk about where this model fits into the Resurrectionist faction. Mm. So, firstly... Is this a model we're hiring in keyword? And if so, how often? So, as mentioned earlier, I've taken
1: it as a tech pick. I've not taken it as anything else. Mm. It, is, it is very resilient, I won't lie, but so is the rest of the keyword. I think a lot of the time with Von Stuck stuff, you've got so many really, really, really solid options, yeah. and the rest of the options don't necessarily seem as good. Mm-hmm. Um so, like I say, I've taken them as a tech pick. Nice bit of anti-armour. That's always lovely. But that's as far as I'd go, really. And especially with Von Stuck 2, Stargazer, that's where I've taken them. I've not played enough Von Stuck 1 to be able to answer that, unfortunately, yeah. where where they'd fit in there. I suppose maybe, I don't think you'd hire them with Von Stuck 1, you'd summon them with his, um, he's got that weird thing where he can make new students.
0: That's interesting. I can definitely see that their purpose is to be a tech pick. Yeah. I haven't seen them enough to see whether they are effective at being mm. a tech pick for what they are trying to tech against.
1: Yeah, I like there's a, there's a couple of games where I did have some good luck with them and I got rid of armour and then managed to kill the thing with, like the say, the Valedictorian yeah. or even the students of Viscera. So they kind of want to work with the rest of the crew rather than by themselves, which is quite nice. Okay, and
0: are we ever hiring these out of keyword at all? maybe um probably not I've, mm-hmm. I've considered
1: it with crews that don't have any kind of anti-armor tech mm-hmm. so when i was playing castor a lot i considered these guys just for a split second um, and the pings with castor that's when i realized i thought it out fully and i was <laughs> like no i don't need to do that um so potentially again a tech pick against anti-armor always mm-hmm. with for anti-armor but at that point you paying eight stones because seven is a nice cost for them i think it's it's not too expensive but it's cheap enough that mm-hmm. you can fit it in but yeah I'd, um, i'm not too sure of keyword okay so that's the answer to that
0: fair enough and me as a completely unexperienced uh resurrectionist player i don't think i am ever considering these out of keywords no, <laughs> it is it's, it's one of those like seven is fine yeah eight is too much i reckon. Yeah. I think that gives us a nice little overview of the students of steel mm. and if you weren't convinced before we maybe have convinced you or maybe not maybe, maybe we've completely put you off maybe but. we just made it worse yeah. everyone's running them into melee being like yeah this melee's great and I'm like no keep them at range and <laughs> yeah just confuse everyone that's what we're here for um but to close out the segment do you think this model needs a book enough or is it fine to stay as it is i think it's
1: fine it does the job it wants to do it wants to be the tech pick and that's the only time i've ever taken it i don't think it needs a buff i'd like it to have a buff because i play Von Stuck a lot um
0: <laughs> but it doesn't need it okay well i'm surprised that i think i actually fully agree with you there i think it seems like a model that Takes a little bit of play and a little bit of support to yeah. get what you want out of it. Yeah. It seems like it does what you hire it for in keyword at least. Mm. I would always be reluctant to buff anything transmortis because that keyword already has so much good stuff. Oh yeah. I don't think uh buffing these guys is good for anyone. I definitely agree. It's like what I was saying earlier, they've already got so
1: much good stuff, they don't need any more good stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree there. All right, so I think that's it for today's sub-assembly. Hope you found this useful or interesting, and let us know if there is a particular stat card you want us to look at next, and that will be it for today. You're tuning in to Hot Off The Presses, a segment in which we give a rundown of some of the most recent happenings in the Malifaux hobby. Today, we've got three items for you, and Jamie is going to introduce the first one. Yes,
1: yeah, so recently, um, as of last weekend, we've had uh, the UK Masters event, the tournament. So uh, could you give us a explanation of what the UK Masters
0: is for listeners who aren't quite sure? Yeah, the UK Masters is an annual invitational event. For the top sixteen ranked players in the UK of the previous year, so we just had the 2023 Masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they always happen sort of in the January after that year. Yeah. Um, and the aim is for someone to be crowned the Malifaux Master yeah, in the UK yeah. of that year. The the one who has one Malifaux. That's it. They just they've <laughs> yeah. done it. They've completed it. <laughs> Um, so could you give us an overview of the event possibly yeah i was actually lucky enough to qualify for the second time this year congratulations um thank you and so i got to play in the event myself firstly i'll go over some of the results so first of all Congratulations to Jamie Varney.
1: Yeah, Jamie Varney. Okay. Not Jamie Asprey. Not me. A different <laughs> Jamie. I'd like to let you all to
0: know, but congratulations nonetheless. Yes. Uh, congratulations to Jamie Varney for being crowned the UK master of 2023. So Jamie won the event, beating Radek in the final. Jamie was soloing Reaver 2, Reaver Luminary. Mm for the whole event and radic played mar two in Mm. the final because he believed that was his best chance of of best in reaver two Mm -hmm. but alas it wasn't to be Uh, and so radic came second and then spoilers i actually made it through to the semi final. congratulations that's awesome honestly thank you thank you i yeah i it was i did much better than than i expected So I actually played Jamie in the semi-finals. Yeah, yeah. And we tied. That's awesome. But because he had a better diff and better results coming out of the group stages and from the previous games, yeah, he went through uh, based on that. Mm-hmm. Um but it meant that myself and Ollie yeah. who was the fourth person who made it to the semi-finals. Um, had a sort of pretty casual playoff for third place, yeah. and we decided just to have a, a bit of a fun game, and we kind of picked each other's masters. Um, and so, uh, the only master that I had with me that Ollie wanted to play <laughs> was Mei Feng One. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up having to play Mei Feng One. What did you pick for Ollie as well? Uh, so Ollie was quite eager to try out Asami Two. Okay. Taku. So. Yeah, yeah um i'd only played against her once before so i was quite happy to to see her on the table yeah. you know being piloted by one of the best players in the country yeah, right yeah. now because that's practice for both of you really there isn't exactly it? yeah needless to say i was beaten pretty badly yeah. but I, I didn't really expect to um be able to put up much of a fight with Mayfeng one and mm. um, we had a little bit of a discussion afterwards, and. Um, I do think she might be one of the weakest masters in the game currently.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those masters that once he's stunned, they're just absolutely useless. Yeah,
0: really. exactly. And, and, and Ollie knew exactly what to do. Yeah. And he literally took Des for Laro, uh to just leap in and stun Mei Feng. Yeah. And, and in the process, steal a bunch of my soul stones. Uh, no. Uh, so, yeah. So, technically, I finished fourth mm-hmm. at the masters which is fantastic like yeah, that's such a good I'm, result i'm really pleased though. and actually up until that sort of pseudo third place yeah. game uh, i went undefeated for the whole weekend yeah, So that's awesome um, yeah we won't count
1: that pleased, one, that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, st- you stayed undefeated the whole weekend that's that's what we hear now like Uh, Yeah, I made sure to take a picture of the results before that game. But yeah, so Jamie Varney is our new UK Malifaux master. Until next January, when we will find out who it is for next year. So, on to our next item. Pretty exciting. The upcoming releases page on the Weird website has finally been updated. Very exciting. And we finally have a release date for Ashes of Malifaux. so it's scheduled to be released at the end of this month, mm-hmm. uh, which is very exciting. We'll see if that actually happens. Fingers crossed, though. Yeah. And as well as the Ashes of Malifaux release date, we also got uh, a whole bunch of new boxes revealed. So much stuff. So much Reza stuff, which, oh, bon appetit. Yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, Reza players will be very happy with what's slated for the next couple of months or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to go through it uh, sort of one by one, but I just wanted to have a little chat about maybe what we're most excited about that's been revealed so Jamie seeing as there is so much Reza stuff yeah and you've been mostly playing Reza's over the past year or so what are you most excited about? I am very, very excited for the
1: Grim Spectre's Feast box, which is the uh, the Ghost Eater and the Three Ghost Lights. Especially, I've been playing a lot of Yanlo recently, and I just think, because we've seen his card as well at this point. Yes. We've seen all the cards, we've seen the models. Like, I'm just very excited to actually get them on the table at some point and give them a go, because um, they just seem to fit really well into the way I like to play Yanlo and the mm-hmm. stuff he wants to do. Um and the models just look awesome. Oh, they look so good. Yeah. Especially those, uh, the little ghosty guys, the the ghost lights. Like, I've already got my plan of how I'm going to paint them, all that yes. sort of stuff. It's I'm very, very excited for that. But how about yourself?
0: What are you most looking forward to? Well, I'm not a Reser player, so there's a little bit less for me to yeah. pick from. A few less options there. But I absolutely adore the look of she of two skins yeah and actually i was already looking at Rasputina as a potential next master for me to focus on and this pretty much settles it the models look amazing we've also seen the cards for the two models that come in that box Mm -hmm. which are the sightless snow and cedra kedra just cheddar cheddar Cheddar. (laughs) (laughs) sure and they look very interesting. So it's another mm. model, uh, a little bit like Ferdinand Vogel yeah. and The Beast Within, where you hire one of them and then they can transform it into the other yeah. during the game. So um, I guess in a way, it's only one new model to add to the crew. But I'm very excited either way because... The actual renders for the sculpts look amazing with the sort of antler, moose, sort of demagorgon-looking thing. Who
1: knows what that is? Like, I'm excited to actually see the model in real life because yeah. like there's so much of it that's almost imperceptible when you're looking at the render and the art, and it's, it's a perfect mess, really, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm very excited about that, and of course I'm excited about Ashes of Malifaux. Oh, yeah. And to see what else... Uh, We'd have in store for us uh, and hopefully we'll start seeing some more boxes being added to that upcoming releases page very soon yes um because there are a few cards that they've teased over the last few months that we haven't actually seen the boxes for oh, yeah. yet so uh, i'm assuming they'll be coming very soon as well yeah we'll just have to keep
1: our fingers crossed indeed so our last item for Hot Off The Presses today is the uh, the upcoming two-day event held in, in Huddersfield, uh, the Malifaux
0: Yorkshire Rumble. So tell us more about that, yeah? Yeah, I'm very excited about this. This is the first two-day event that I will be running yeah. at Powder Monkey Gaming in Huddersfield, uh, which is our usual venue, our local game store, and also where I run my events. hmm It's a two-day event happening on the 6th and 7th of July. Uh, There is a capacity of 24. Yeah, quite a few of them are sold now, haven't they? There's still a few spaces there, I believe. Yes, a few spaces left. Tickets are £40, and that gets you five rounds of Malifaux, as well as casual gaming on the Saturday evening. Or uh, I'm also going to be running a game of Bonanza Brawl. Yeah. Uh, So for anyone who's interested in trying that out, there will be an option to sign up for that uh, closer to the time, and I will be running that on the Saturday evening. Fantastic. Other than that, it's all the usual stuff for my events, uh, which includes chess clocks, of course, course. uh, raffle tickets for various achievements throughout the rounds, and Another thing that I'm really excited about is, because it's five rounds, I am dipping into the GG All pool of strats. Ah! So we're going to obviously have one of each of the GG4 strategies, obviously provided that GG5 isn't out before then. But I hope not. Given that, you know, it only came out a couple of months ago, I wouldn't imagine that to be the case. Uh, And I'm also going to be including a fifth strategy From the GG All packet. Awesome. Uh, So no strategies will be repeated throughout the
1: weekend. That's very exciting. Especially because five games can be quite a long time. So actually mixing
0: them all up, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So it'll still be GG Four schemes for all five rounds. But one of the five rounds is going to feature a GG All strategy. I haven't quite decided which one that's going to be yet. Uh, but I am going to announce that a little bit ahead of time just to give people who maybe are less familiar with it or only recently started playing to have a chance to read up on it uh, before the event. Very exciting.
1: And that is it for this episode's Hot Off The Presses.
0: So, we've made it to the end of the first episode of Green Joker's Malifaux podcast. Thank you to everyone who has stuck with us all the way to the end. If you enjoyed us talking about Malifo, please share this with your friends. It would really mean the world to us, especially while we're still starting out. Let us know what you thought of the segments in this episode as well as any segment ideas you would like to hear in future episodes. Jamie, how can people get in touch with us? So you can get in touch with us by joining
1: our Green Jokers uh, Discord server um, which you can find the link in the show notes. So may your
0: Jokers be evergreen and that's a goodbye from me. And a jolly farewell from me. Thanks for listening.